All right, well, good morning, everyone. And I don't even know if I'm on. There we go. All right. Hey, I couldn't agree with Mark anymore. Thank you, Mark, for making that video with us. Um, I've been going to man camp for like four or five years, and what he said is true. If you're a guy and you go to here to Community Alliance Church, man camp is for you. It's an awesome opportunity, really, to connect with other guys, but more than even that, it's, it's getting away and, and hearing from the Lord. I feel like every year that I've gone to man camp, God has some, had said something unique uh, to me for my life, so I don't want you to miss that, so sign up for man camp today. Um, actually, if you sign up by next weekend, you can uh, save $5 with a coupon that's on that mancamp2019.org website. So, uh, good morning, uh, Community Lines Church. My name is Joe. I should probably introduce myself to you in case you don't know me. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And I, I want to say something to those of you who are maybe sitting here this morning and you're feeling a little bit guilty because you thought you skipped church last Sunday. Um, I've got good news for you. You weren't absent. We actually had a snow day last week, and church was canceled. So for all of you who, you know, that, that kind of messed up your morning, I just want to say uh, thank you for your understanding. Our leadership works really hard as we're trying to, you know, we want to be together for Sunday morning to join together to worship and hear from the Word. We're also trying to use wisdom when it comes to asking people to drive on roads uh, that are quite dangerous. So um, if you ever want to know if snow has impacted Sunday morning services or other services and activities we have here at the church, go onto our church website or our Facebook page or the Pittsburgh news outlets, uh, and you will be able to see we put our cancellations or changes there. Now, when you walked in the door this morning, you may have noticed some baby bottles. Those make a lot more sense when Angela from Life Choices is here to explain what those are for. Now, she was supposed to be here last week, but obviously church got canceled. But we left the baby bottles out anyhow. So, if you want to take a baby bottle, you know what they're for. Feel free to do that. Angela from Life Choices, though, is going to be here next Sunday talk more about our partnership with Life Choices. But go ahead and grab your baby bottle now. If you've participated in that before, uh, it's free. You're fine to get started. So I, I am really, really excited to be here with you all uh, this morning because this week we are starting a new two-week series. And to kind of give you an idea of the direction that we're going to be going, I want to start out this morning by talking about this stuff. water. You probably don't spend a whole lot of your life thinking about water, do you? In fact, looking at it in this clear glass, uh, it's, it's actually quite boring, isn't it? But I, I want you to think about your morning so far today. How much have you already used water today by 11-11? Maybe your day started with a hot shower Probably this morning you used water to brush your teeth. If you didn't, that would explain that awkward exchange you had with the person sitting next to you during the greeting time. Brush your teeth, that'll fix that. Some of you are hit, sitting here this morning, you snuck coffee in. You're drinking coffee made from water. At your house, there's probably water maybe in pipes running through your house, keeping it warm. If you use one of our restrooms here this morning... Let's not spill the water. If you use one of our restrooms here this morning, I hope that you washed your hands with water and soap. And if you didn't, the rest of us will keep telling ourselves that you did. It just makes us feel better. 
you probably don't spend too much time thinking about water, but when you think about it, water is an integral part of our lives. Did you know that water is 60% of our bodies? Our human brains are made of 73% water. I learned that this week when I looked it up on the internet where I also learned that water even has its own website. Water.org. Go there. You will see. Water is so, so diverse, right? Like water in a cold drink is refreshing and hot water in a shower is comforting. Water can be used to boil and cook food. Water is powerful enough to make electricity. Water is supportive enough to float a 100,000-ton aircraft carrier all around the world. And last Sunday, we learned that water is threatening enough in its frozen form to cancel our church service. And now at this point, you're thinking, why in the world are we talking about water so much this morning? And let me tell you. Because probably somewhere you have seen water referred to as H2O. H. Now, if you think back to your junior high or high school chemistry days, H stands for what? Hydrogen and O stands for oxygen. And that's chemistry's way of telling us that water, at its core, is made of two elements. Two things, just two. And all of its diverse applications and all the many, many different things that we use it for and all of the ways it's so important to our lives, water at its core comes down to hydrogen and oxygen, just two things. But without those two things bonded together, you don't have water. It has to be both. And I start today by talking about water because in our Christian lives, We're going to be talking in these two weeks about how our lives of following Jesus comes down to two essential things. Just like water boils down, pun definitely intended, to hydrogen and oxygen, our lives of following Jesus comes down to the two core essential elements of love and truth. Love and truth. See, if you only have hydrogen, if you only have oxygen, you just have gas. When you put them together, you have water. And in your life as a Christian, if you want to follow Jesus the way he wants you to, you've got to take love and truth and put it together. In fact, think of it like this. We'll put it on the screen. Truth without love is weaponized, and love without truth is neutralized. Truth without love is weaponized. Love without truth is neutralized. What that means is when your life is all truth but no love, then the truth can actually become a weapon that you use to beat on people and actually make them feel harmed or abused. But when your life is all love but no truth, then then the warm fuzzies are actually nullifying the need for the life-saving gospel of Jesus Christ. In our lives, it has to be both. And so for the next two weeks, we're going to talk about these two things and how they work in our lives. So to do this, we are going to be in our Bibles in a book called 2 John. 2 John. So you can turn there now or get it pulled up on your mobile device. 2 John. And here's the deal. In two weeks, we're going to cover an entire book of the Bible. You're probably thinking, what did I get myself into this morning? Well, 
I got to tell you, this entire book of the Bible is just one chapter, 13 verses. We are going to go through all of it, but it's the shortest book of the entire Bible. This week, we're going to talk about this element of love in our lives. And we're going to end with a celebration of the ultimate act of love. And then next week, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about truth. We're going to talk about the idea that it's, it's not just about knowing the truth. It's about walking in the truth in our lives. So today, though, we're going to talk about love. And to get us started, we're going to be in this book of 2 John. So go almost to the end of your Bible, find Revelation, and then go back a few blocks, and you'll find 2 John. But don't miss it. It's probably just one page in your Bible. And and in 2 John, verse 1, the author writes this. He says, The elder to the lady chosen by God. The elder. You see, John, this second John, it, we call it a book. To its original audience, it was actually a letter. Very short. It's about the length of a normal email or a half-page Word document. And the author starts out by referring to himself. He says, the elder. So he says, I'm the elder. And what does that even mean? So, so if you go back to the original word, it can mean really one of two things. It's either a highly respected person or a really old guy. And in this case, it, it, it really represents both. You see, the author we know from the title, it's really not too hard to figure out, as well as other sources, is a guy named John. Pretty typical name, but he wasn't a pretty typical guy. He was one of Jesus's 12 disciples. He wasn't just one of the 12, though. Jesus had this inner circle of three best friends amongst his disciples, and John was one of Jesus's best friends on earth. And because of that special relationship, he had a highly respected position within the early church. Also, John was a really old guy at this point. He followed Jesus many, many years before this letter was written. This letter was written toward the end of the first century. So people believe that by the time John wrote this, he was probably in his 80s. He says, the elder to the lady chosen by God and to her children. It'd be real easy just reading this fast to think the lady refers to a woman, maybe like a British woman, right? That's what they call British ladies, right? But it's actually a feminine reference to the church. Kind of like what Paul does in Ephesians when he talks about the bride of Christ. And he's saying, okay, I'm showing you this highly, uh, it's a term of endearment, he says, to the lady. Or in other words, to the dear church and to her children or to the people of this dear church. He says, whom I what? Whom I what? Love in truth. Verse 1, he's already putting these two things together, these two elements. He's bonding together. He says, I love in truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth. Verse 2, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son, whom will be with us in what? Truth and love. Again, they're bonded together. Verse 4, it has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in truth, just as the Father commanded us. And then we get to verse 5 and 6, where we're going to spend our time together today. And he continues on. And now, dear lady, or now, dear church, so that could kind of like be directed toward us as well as church. I'm not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. I ask that we love one another. So love, 
I mean, so you think about love, and one of the, one of the things that's really hard when it comes to talking about love is, is the like, profuse variety of messages we get from our culture about what love is. So when John says love one another, we kind of think, okay, John, like, what, what does that even mean? You probably watch the news sometimes, and you've seen people protesting with big signs that promote love over hate. All the while, they're hurling obscenities and threats and, and breaking people's property. And you think, okay, like, is that love? Or, or, or maybe you've kind of felt this message or heard this message in culture that says, love is my freedom to express myself sexually with whomever, however I want. Okay, like, is that, is that love? Or, or maybe you've, you've kind of heard this one. It's, okay, so love is accepting me and never judging me or disapproving of anything I ever do. Is that, is that how you show someone love? I mean, my goodness, you can go on Facebook this afternoon, find a picture or a post that you like, and click a button and love it. I was thinking about this. I use the same word love to talk about my favorite chicken wing sauce, which is golden garlic from Quaker Steak and Lube, and to talk about the woman that I have committed to spend the rest of my entire life with. <laughs> same word. So, really, and you do the same thing. So when we think about love, is there, it's like, is there any surprise that it gets confusing when we get this word thrown out, whether it's in the Bible or in our lives? It's kind of like this experience I had a few months ago when I painted a section of my garage. I had this corner of my garage that was all beat up, and I wanted to fix it. So I, I patched everything up, and I wanted it to be white. So I wanted it to match the rest of my garage, which I had painted a couple years ago white. And I go down to my basement where I keep all my cans of Sherwin-Williams paint, and I pull out ultra white. And I'm like, okay, great. Go up, paint my walls. I'm really excited until the paint dries. It wasn't the same white as the other white. Did you know, and I learned when I dug to the back of the paint storage place in my basement, that ultra white and pure white are two different things. <laughs> and then I learned that Sherwin-Williams actually has a hundred, I'm not even making this up, 150 different colors of white. Like what's, we can't, like, how are we gonna figure out what love is if we can't figure out what white is? So just like if you go to Sherwin-Williams and say, I need white, and the guy at Sherwin-Williams looks at you like, okay, that's not helpful. When John talks about love and says love one another, we kind of push back and like, John, what do you mean? Well, it, it really does help if we look at the actual word that he used for love here. You see, in, in English, we have one word, love, and we apply it to everything from chicken wing sauce to wives. It covers it all. But the Bible wasn't written in English. You might read your Bible in English, but it was translated from the original language. The New Testament was written in Greek. And in Greek, there are actually six different words for love, four of which are used in the New Testament. Now, the word here used in 2 John is agape. Agape. You may have heard this word before, agape. You see, whereas in other places in the Bible, uh, a word is used for family love or for friend love or sexual love, agape is different. Agape means selfless love for everyone. It, it's really a radical word. 
And, and here's the interesting thing. So, so agape love, that word, is used all over the New Testament. All over the New Testament, 320 times. But when you go to other Greek literature written at the same time, that word is almost never, ever used for love. So, so it's almost like when the writers of the Bible sat down and they're like, okay, we've got to figure out what word do we want to use to describe the love that Jesus wants us to show to one another. They looked around at all the other words that their language had, and they felt like all of those words fell short. No, those, that wasn't it. No, that's not it. And then they found this one word that was so uncommon so infrequently used because no one shows that kind of love. I mean, that's crazy love. That's radical. Who does that? They said, yep, that's the one, agape love. That's the love we're going to talk about, selfless love. The late evangelist Billy Graham has a really simple definition. I, I like Billy Graham because he just uses easy words to understand. This is the definition he has for agape love. He writes this in his book, The Journey. He says, agape love is selfless love. The love that extends even to those who aren't lovable or worthy of love. This kind of love, agape love, it's, it's more than a warm feeling or an impulsive act of kindness. The love that God wants us to have isn't an emotion, but a conscious act of the will. It's a deliberate decision on our part to put others ahead of ourselves. This is the kind of love that God has for us. And according to 2 John 1, 5, this is the kind of love that God wants us to show for each other. This kind of love is so rare. I mean, think, think about your own life. How many times in your life have you truly experienced this kind of love from another human being? How many times have you experienced this love even though you were unworthy of it? And you were unlovable. How many, how many times have you shown it? You see, we can put love all over the place on t-shirts and on billboards and in slogans. But this kind of love is as rare in our time as it was in the time when the Bible was written. Sure, like we look around the world and we see love, but the world's love is different. It's common. It's limited. It's conditional. I, I would call it as long as love. The world shows as long as love. Here's what I mean. As long as love says this, as long as you give me what I want, I love you. You might have experienced this in romantic relationships before. As long as you're giving that other person what they want, emotionally, materially, sexually, they'll return the love that you crave. Or, or maybe you experience this at, at work. As long as you're closing deals and winning contracts and delivering results, you're accepted and approved. But you wonder in the back of your head, what, what if I didn't deliver? As long as love says this, as long as you meet my expectations, I love you. You may have grown up in a house like this. You felt like this with your parents. As long as you brought home good grades. As long as you won games on the court or on the field. As long as you went to the right college, as long as you chose the right career, I love you. As long as love says this, as long as you agree with my viewpoint or my lifestyle, I love you. 
as a society, we're really quickly losing our, our ability to know the difference between genuinely loving someone and approving of everything they do and everything they say and all the choices that they make and the actions that they take. In our world, any differing of viewpoint is quickly labeled as hate and as a cause for offense. As long as love says this, as long as you love me, I love you. It's reciprocal. It's transactional. It's like going to Applebee's today for lunch. If you give them 20 bucks plus tax and tip, they'll give you an appetizer and your choice of a, or appetizer and dessert and, and two entrees. And, and as long as love says, as long as I'm getting back what I give, I love you. But, but when I feel like I'm not getting value back, then I have the right to step away and, and go somewhere else. Finally, as long as love says, as long as I appear good, as long as you appear good, I love you. Some of you kind of, you came here to church, and this is kind of how you feel. You feel like, are they going to accept me if they know who I really am, the mistakes that I've made? Are they going to accept me and love me if they know that I have a past or even I have a present? Because this is the kind of the love that you get from the world. As long as you look good, we love you, but you can't be the real you. Now, the agape love that we're called to is different. Look at what John says. He says, I'm not writing you a new command. I'm not writing you a new command. So you guys have heard this before. It's the same old thing. I'm an old guy. I repeat myself all the time. You've heard me say this a thousand times. He said, you've heard it from the beginning. What's he even talking about? See, John is pointing back to a story he's told them probably many, many times about this night with Jesus. It was actually the last night that the disciples had with Jesus before he died. And Jesus sits them all down, and they're having a dinner, and he's pretty much laying it all out on the line. And he says something. And John wrote it down in a different book he wrote. John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus says this, and John's reminding his readers of this. He said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. See, this is a different kind of love. The world talks about love, but Jesus came along saying, that kind of love is as long as love. I'm calling you to as Jesus has love in your life. See, as long as love says, as long as you give me what I want, I love you, but as Jesus has love, it says this, you can't meet my needs but my love will meet all of your needs. As long as love says, as long as you meet my expectations, I love you. But Jesus' love was radical. It was, you can never meet expectations, but I have met them for you. My love met the expectations you can never meet for yourself. As long as love tells us, as long as you agree with my lifestyle and my viewpoint, I love you. But Jesus said, my love extends to those who hate me. My love extends to those who would even murder me. It's a radical love. As long as love says, as long as you love me, I'll love you. But Jesus says, my love for you isn't limited by your love for me. Finally, as long as love says, as long as you appear good, I'll love you. But Jesus says, come on. I know the real you. And I love you still. Jesus' love was uncommon. It was agape. 
It was extreme, and it was our example. In John 13, 34, he says, As I have loved you, so you must love one another. I've read a lot of the Bible. I think all of it. There's a lot of commands in here that are really, really hard to keep. Right? Maybe you feel that way. But is there really any harder command than this? Look, look around the room, right? So if this, okay, this is the command. Look at all these people. Look around. We're supposed to love each other as Jesus loved us. I don't even know some of you. Maybe if we knew each other, we wouldn't even like each other. I might annoy you a lot. Some of those who do know me might say that about me. It's not easy to love one another. My goodness, like the people we're married to and sitting next to, we don't always do this to them, and we promise to, and we actually do love them. Your kids, right? We really love our kids. Don't always love them as Jesus loved them. I don't think he would think some of the things I think sometimes. If this is the command for us, do you realize what this means? This means that, that when you're having a fight with your, your wife or your husband, somehow in that disagreement, you're supposed to show as Jesus has love to them. This means that when you're angry with a coworker and you have every right to be, somehow in that, you have to show as Jesus has love to them. My goodness, I mean, like your friends who have hurt you or betrayed you, you may never have the relationship that you want with them again, but you have to show as Jesus has love with you. When your neighbor puts that sign for that candidate that you really trying to do the opposite of as Jesus has love toward them in their yard, you have to show as Jesus has love to them. It's an incredible command. See, Jesus takes his incredible example and he sets it as our incredible standard. And when we grasp this, I mean, we just, we just begin to realize our incredible inadequacy to ever do this. I, I, I'm reading this and I'm like, really? I don't know if you feel this way. Maybe, it should, maybe you should be up here preaching, but I'm like, how, how am I supposed to do this? Maybe you ask this question, how am I supposed to live with as Jesus has love. I, I grew up next to my grandma, my grandma and my grandpa. My grandma was the most loving person I have ever met. Loving, I mean, she loved everybody, and I knew her well. We lived next door. I've always felt like I'll never be able to love other people like my grandma was able to love other people. Yet, yet whenever I compare my grandma to Jesus... She was a giant jerk. <laughs> she was. <clears throat> I know. It's going to offend my family. It's just the truth. Because no one can live up to this standard. And I think, I think that's why John writes what he writes next in verse 6. Right? Because he's like, okay, okay, guys, come on. I've been, uh, all right, I'm going to let you in a little secret. Verse 6. And this is love. Okay, so, so you want to know what this looks like? Okay, so you're wrestling with this. How am I supposed to do this? He said, okay, this, this is it. This is love. He uses a word two times. He says, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you've heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. You're going to see this word again next week when it comes to truth. But today he's saying, walk in love. So, okay, you want to know how to do this? This feels really hard, impossible 
right? You're thinking you'd be good if you just could be as loving as your grandma, and now I just kind of blew your mind. Walk. He said, if you want to get there, you got to do just like you do when you walk. You take steps. Let, let me share a quick story with you that kind of, I think, might illustrate what he's talking about. Every year, our family goes to the Outer Banks in North Carolina. We've been doing it, like, a really long time, since before my kids were born. And every year, we, we go to the beach on the Outer Banks, and we do what people do when they go to the beach. Like, we put chairs in the sand, and we sit there and do nothing, Right? So I love that about the beach. Maybe you hate that. That's why you don't go. But when you're sitting at the beach all day doing nothing, what do you inevitably do? You look around. So we spend time sitting there doing nothing but looking around. And every year, I've been looking up this beach, and on the far extent of where I can possibly see with my eyes, there's this little brown sliver that comes out, and it breaks where the sky meets the water. It is a distant pier. It's way in the, way in the distance. Been looking at it for 10 years. So this year, for whatever reason, after dinner one night, I decided this is the year. This is the year we walk to the pier. And then I was like, okay, it rhymes. It's got to be, we got to do it now. So we go, we're going to walk to the pier. And then I'm like, I don't go by myself. There's no way I'm going to convince anybody that's a grown-up to go. I'm going to convince my seven-year-old to go with money. <laughs> really cheap. Way cheaper to bribe a seven-year-old than an adult. So we set off on the walk to the pier. And a few, more than a few minutes into the walk, I started to realize, that pier is not getting any close. Like we, how far is that pier? It's like we're walking and walking and walking. It's not getting any closer. And then I realized another thing. Um, a seven-year-old's legs basically take two times as many steps to get somewhere as a 37-year-old's legs. So my son is getting tired. But we're walking. I mean, we're walking. We're having a good time. It was a lot of fun. We're picking up seashells, and I'm stuffing them in my pockets because we had to have every single one. And we're watching people not pull in any fish. Um, and then sandcastles, we're looking at those. And a couple times, like, we waded out into the water. And I'm not going to tell you why. You can just think we were enjoying a swim. And just being honest. Walking in truth, baby. All right. So we're going along, and we're walking. And inevitably, he starts asking me questions like, are we, getting, like, are we getting any closer, Dad? Yeah, son, we're getting closer. Dad, how much longer? Okay, it's not, not much. Just keep, taking, just keep taking steps. Just keep walking. Dad, how many steps do you think we really have taken so far? I don't know. <laughs> just keep walking. And finally, you know what happened. After tons of steps and a lot of encouragement from a father to son, that distant pier turned into a giant wooden structure that we sat under to take a much-deserved break. And I think in our relationship with God and our pursuit of as Jesus has love in our lives, it can kind of feel like that walk to the pier. Like we see this distant example that we're trying to chase and follow after, but it's so far away and we can feel like we are here and it is there. And how am I supposed to ever get there? And John says, whether you're walking to a distant pier or pursuing as Jesus has love in your life, do it the same way. You take steps. Just take steps. Just take steps. And some days it's going to feel like you're walking downhill and it's easy and you're getting there. And other days it's going to feel like a straight uphill climb. Just keep taking steps. And you're going to stumble. You're going to fall in holes. You might trip over a rock. But you just keep taking steps. You keep going. Keep walking. 
And I want you to understand that John's not writing this as an angry old man. He's not saying, thou shalt love or else. He is a tender, loving, spiritual father saying, keep going, keep going, keep pursuing it, don't give up. So when we compare pursuing as Jesus has love in our lives to a walk, there's a question that I think we can pull out that helps to clarify how we can proceed. And the question is this, what step would love take? This is the application question for your life. What step would love take? Could you imagine? S- super simple question, right? What, okay, what would happen in your marriage if every day when you woke up, you looked at your spouse or your, your, maybe your wife, your husband, and said, okay, what step would love take today? What step would love take today? What if when you went into work, as you interact with your coworkers and your employees or your boss, you asked yourself the question, what step would love take? How about before you ever press send on your touch screen or on your computer, you ask yourself the question, is this a step love would take? What would happen in our community if everybody who calls Community Alliance Church their church home and, and, fo- and claims to follow Jesus with their lives, once a day even, ask themselves, what step would love take in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our restaurants, in our grocery stores, in our businesses. What impact would that have on the Butler community if we all left and committed to regularly asking what step would love take? There was a news story a few weeks ago, it was on some news outlets, you might have seen it, about a family in Ohio who asked themselves the question, what step would love take? I don't know if they actually asked themselves the question, but they're following the path of as Jesus has love in their life. In fact, let me put this picture, uh, they'll put the picture up for me. Thanks, guys. This picture is, a, is of a snow fort, and that guy in the bottom left corner, his name is Greg Eichhorn. So, so here's what's going on here. Greg has two kids that are bound to wheelchairs. So he and his sister decide they're going to build a giant snow fort so the kids can play in it. But they made it handicap accessible so his two kids in wheelchairs can play in it too. Well, his buddy takes a picture, puts it on Reddit, and it goes viral. So, of course, news places are calling him. So he does this interview with Cincinnati.com, and in the interview, you learn that he and his wife actually have nine special needs kids. They're like, why in the world? I mean, that's great, but why do you do that? And he said, we feel like that's the way God's calling us to live. We, f- we feel like God's calling us to love these kids through adoption. Here's what I think is funny. These people adopt nine special needs kids, and nobody knows who they are. He builds one really cool snow fort, and he makes national news. It doesn't, it's just the world we live in. Here's the thing. In our lives, when we start asking the question, what step would love take? God may call us to do massive, dangerous radical things like this family in Ohio did. I'm not going to tame the question today by telling you God won't, because he might be. He might call you to move. He might call you to do something so far out of your comfort zone that you won't even be able to see it anymore. What I can guarantee, though, is if in your everyday life you ask yourself the question, what step would love take? Your life is going to change. And the lives around you 
will change? What step would love take? Now, here's the beauty of, of this question, why I love it so much, because do you realize that Jesus asked himself the same question when he looked at you and looked at me? He looked at us and said, what step would love take? And the answer to that question led him to take steps on a path up a hill to a cross. Out of intense love for me and for you, he allowed those same feet that took those steps to be nailed to a cross. It it was the most extreme radical demonstration of love that the world had ever seen. The perfect sinless son of God allowed himself to take upon himself all of the pain and all of the suffering that we deserved and gave his life in exchange for ours. Now here's the thing, the steps to that cross were not the last steps that he took. And his death was not the final answer to the question because three days later, Jesus took another step that's where the victory comes because he stepped out of the tomb where he was buried and once and for all claimed victory for us over sin and over death because of Jesus's death and resurrection we we can experience the love of God in our lives We can know what it means to be loved by a holy father who accepts us and forgives us and gives us freedom and gives us purpose in life. You see, we can't live a life of love without Jesus' love for us. A life of love does not begin with you. It begins first with Christ's love for you and then Christ's love in you. And the path to that life of love is by reaching out to Christ and saying, I can't take these steps on my own. And Jesus answering back, I've already taken a step for you. You just have to receive the forgiveness I'm giving you and give your life to me. We can't give the love of Jesus to others if we've never received the love of Jesus ourselves and given him our life. In a couple minutes, we're going to take communion together, and and it's really a celebration of Jesus' love for us, of him answering the question, what step would love take? We're going to take some bread, and that represents his body broken out of love for us. We're going to take a cup of juice, and we're going to drink it, and that represents his blood spilled out of love for us. And, And the only requirement here this morning is that to take, the only requirement to join with us in this celebration is that you have received Christ's love and you have given him your life as your savior. And so before we do this, I just want to ask you, have you ever given Jesus Christ your life? Have you ever received his love and forgiveness? And if you haven't done that, I just invite you to do that today. It will change your life. It will change your eternity. In fact, I want to ask everyone to bow their heads for a moment. And if that's you today, and you say, I want to make Jesus Christ the Savior of my life, I want to receive his love, then I want you to pray a prayer with me. And it'll be absolutely crystal clear, the words of this prayer are not magical. I just want to help you express your heart's desire towards Jesus. So if that's you, pray with me. 
dear Jesus, thank you for taking the steps to the cross to pay for my sin. I ask that you will forgive me of those sins. I receive your love. I receive your forgiveness. I turn my life over to you. Now, in a moment, we're going to take communion together. But before the ushers start to come forward, I just want to say to you, if you prayed that prayer this morning, I want you to come see me afterwards. Please come talk to me and just say, hey, I prayed that prayer. Because, one, I want to celebrate with you. Secondly, I want to talk to you about, okay, this is the beginning of a new life, and I want to talk to you more about what that means. So if you prayed that prayer, please see me do want to invite now for the communion stewards and ushers to come forward. As they're coming, in a moment you're going to get a piece of bread and a cup. And when you receive those, or even before, I want to give you a few moments to just silently, where you're at, reflect on two things. One is reflect on Christ's steps of love for you. That he went to a cross to die for you. <laughs> just bask in that love. But the second thing I want to ask you to reflect on is what step of love is he asking you to take in response to his love for you. So as you receive it, just spend a few moments together with God.
hold the bread and as you hold the juice, I ask you to look at this scripture with me and reflect on it out of Luke chapter 22, verse 19. The Bible says, and he, Jesus, took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Let's do this together in remembrance of him. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for his love and for your love for us. And we celebrate once again how that love has changed our lives. God, we thank you. We pray that you help us to live it out as we leave this place today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you all so much for being here with us this morning. Drive safe on the roads, and we will see you again next Sunday.